A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today is International Women's Day. And I want to give a shout out to all the women in the crypto space for fighting, for working, for building, for hodling, and for motivating me and inspiring me to keep optimistic about our future. That's today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, March 8th, 2021, International Women's Day. And I want everybody to take a step back and scroll through your Twitter and really realize who the women are that are in this crypto space from lawyers to doctors, CEOs, investors, influencers. Some of the most amazing and accomplished people I've ever met in my life are in the crypto space and they are women. So I guess I want to task the listeners today to pop open their crypto Twitters, scroll and just acknowledge the women in the space. And if you don't know much about them, I think you're going to be surprised because they are some of the most accomplished people I have ever met. Now it's those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 11:30 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $50,984.50, up just 0.6% in 24 hours. Ethereum's at $1,736.50, up 5.3% in 24 hours. Tether's sitting at the number three spot, while Binance is at the number four spot at 235.20, down about a percent from yesterday. Cardano's at the number five market cap at $1.12, down a half a percent, and Polkadot's in the number six at 34.19, down a half a percent as well. Total market cap for the space, we're at $1.57 trillion, with a BTC dominance of 60.2%. And in our first and only conversation today, we're sitting down with the Stellar Development Foundation CEO, Danelle Dixon, and Vice President of Engineering, Karen Chang. And we're talking about diversity and inclusion within the workspace, how to foster communication with that diversity, and the challenges that arise from leadership, and how to keep learning as leaders. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having us. Happy International Women's Day. Thank you. You back right back at you. Hey, thank you very much. <laughs> I, the reason why we're talking today is, Danelle, you have done an extraordinary job of making sure that your environment, your work environment, your teams are inclusive as possible, including people of color and women. And I want to ask you, one, why is that a priority? And two, how did you get that done? Yeah, well, it's a priority because it's not rocket science that when you have diverse backgrounds and perspectives, it actually brings everybody to the table and allows different conversations to happen. Uh, we see this all the time in product. We see it all the time when there's someone missing from the table that the product actually misses a component of what's what's needed in society. So for me, it's it's just very simple. Like we just need to have people who look and sound like the people that we represent all around the world so that we can actually have their views and perspectives. Uh, and the the how part, is you just have to really want it to happen and have to focus on it and make it a priority. We start at the very basic for every role that we have, we have to have a diverse slate. We require a diverse slate before anyone can be hired for that, which means you have to interview people from all different perspectives, from gender, from people of color, from 
you know, different geographies, like it's just a really important component. And when you start there and then you just hire the best candidate and then the best candidates oftentimes end up being the ones that, you know, represent these different perspectives. You know, I'm going to assume here that you have worked in very majority male dominated spaces before. And now that you have fostered a space with 39 out of 81 employees are women, how do you see the difference in the environment or the, the company culture or communication? Yeah, I think so. Every at every level of my career, <clears throat> I've been one of the only women at the table. Wow! Uh, and and that is and in tech, it's uh, particularly bad. But it was also when I was a child lawyer, it was exactly the same way. Um, and I think in blockchain and crypto, it's highly, highly dominated by men in a way that even tech uh, generally isn't. I just think that having the diversity of opinion. Having And it's also really important that you foster a, cu- a culture of openness and transparency, which I find just really important so that these perspectives and ideas can flow. Uh, you could have all this diversity and yet not allow the openness and the transparency to happen, which would sort of kill the whole thing. So I think it's just a model of that, uh, having those two values combined. And I think we've done a pretty good job of it. We still have to work on it every day. This isn't something that, you know, you, you like achieve something and you're like, all right, now we, we can be done. You have to like keep pushing to make sure that you constantly have that culture of openness. You constantly focus on diverse opinions. We make mistakes. You have to look at those mistakes and say, okay, we're going to do better next time. Uh, and so that's how we do it. And I think it's just a really great environment for all of us at SDF. Karen, you are the VP of engineering. Um, and I'm going to go out in a limb here to say that there aren't many women, at least in the United States, in STEM, with STEM degrees. But you've told me a couple of statistics offline. And I just want you to go into that is also you've been in this working as an engineer for 25 years, you mentioned. Um, yeah. can, can you please just go into one I thought was really interesting, the division between the way that we phrase uh, STEM education in the United States, opposed to, say, other countries, and then the challenges of being a woman in engineering. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, what's surprising to a lot of people is that there are certain encoded cultural beliefs in Western societies um, that don't really compare well with emerging countries. So the statistic that I was giving you earlier is that if you compare the rate of graduation of women out of STEM programs in India, for example, it's more at parity, right? So it's more at 40% graduation rates versus the United States um, where we're kind of, you know, kicking around at 13%. And so I think that's clearly saying that there's something different about our education system because women are just not getting science, engineering, and mathematic uh, de- degrees. And part of it is there's probably some coding around girls not being good at science and a lack of visibility around uh, role models historically or even you know contemporaneously. Um, and I think the other thing is that women in general or girls um, tend to, you know, shy away from highly aggressive and competitive environments. And a lot of these academic pursuits tend to be uh, graded on a bell curve. You know, I remember my first year at Berkeley, I was in a bio 1A class where there were 700 students, right? I could barely talk to the professor. I was just like a face in the crowd. So I think we need to kind of structure some educational um, opportunities for girls that feel more risk-free. It's not necessarily tied to a grade, um, but more about exploring something that they might be curious uh, about. And, you know, I have some examples of this. Uh, I acted as a mentor for a program that was called the First Robotics Competition. 
in New York City, and it was started by Dean Kamen, who invented Segway, for example. And it's a hands-on learning experience uh, for girls and boys, actually, everybody um, from the grades of 9 to 12. And basically, uh, they're tasked with building a robot and programming a robot. And I happened uh, to volunteer for a all-girls school called the Chapman School in New York City. And I just kind of watched these girls and helped them um, program the robot over the course of, you know, weekends and after, after school hours. So it wasn't, you know, something that they were doing uh, for the grade. It was just because they were super passionate about getting this robot that could compete in this competition and make turns in a racetrack and throw balls and, you know, all this other stuff. So um, I think that would be probably, I think, um, a better way of getting girls kind of, you know, sparked uh, in technology. Love it. You said a couple of things I want to just, you know, touch on and really dig a little bit deeper on in, in that still statements. And I want to just throw this out to either of you, Karen, Donnell. You said that you said aggressive environments, that women do not like to be involved in really aggressive environments. I know for one, I am a very loud, boisterous, aggressive person when I get into my work mode and get into my groups. I like to just, you know, go back and forth and throw ideas around. And I was reading Barack Obama's book um, the other day. And in there's a part in his book where he says, when I was working in the over office and in the White House and I had my team, the women of his team would come up to him and say, hey, we don't really feel comfortable in these environments of, you know, just all these men just yelling about politics all day long. And he said that that really hindered my my cabinet, my ability to get things done. How do you manage? I don't know if it's just a man thing or a woman thing or if there's a difference. How do you manage the environment to foster the best communication possible with competing ideas of what it gets it done? Or is it just like a, a male kind of idea that this is how we operate and it's actually not the most effective? I do think that some of it is male dominated. I, I think not all women shy away from it, but I definitely feel like there are better ways to create environments where there's, again, allowing for diversity of opinion. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we talk about inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Inclusion means lots of different things. When you think about being in a meeting and you recognize that there might be one or two people who don't normally raise their opinion in the meeting, you should ask them their opinion either offline or in that meeting and to very specifically try to pull that out from them. You need to create this environment where, you know, it's not the same person that's running the meeting all the time. You need to move that around to let other people that would normally not take that position run it because they'll run it in a different way. They won't run it with mm. that boisterous attitude, maybe, mm. and it'll create a different flow of ideas. So I, I do think that there's this, we need to just be more open to different ways of communication, but to, to take action on it and to just do these small things. You know, one of the things I, I encourage people to do, we have uh, at SDF and, and, and other companies that I had, we have this uh, set aside amount that you can use for your own personal development so that you can, you know, re the company reimburses you for it. I encourage people to, you know, take public speaking courses or to take writing courses so that they can feel like they can communicate better because it's not something maybe that somebody, for example, in STEM would have spent time doing. And so this actually encourages them to develop in a different way so that they might feel more comfortable in an environment raising their own opinions. But it's just, and also asynchronous is another way that you have to do it. So you have this meeting and then you allow people afterwards to like fill into a doc so that then you're getting the different perspectives and ideas and if they didn't feel like they could raise it during the meeting. So there's lots of different ways to do this, but you have to be very deliberate in trying to make that happen. 
Yeah, and um, just to echo some of Danelle's points, um, Danelle actually has training as a lawyer. <laughs> and, you know, you can tell in how articulate she is. Um, but like for me, uh, as an engineering management manager and leader, I think it's about creating ground floor experiences for women. And that means that women in my teams are tasked to solve the hard problems. Because a lot of times what you see throughout a woman's career is when you're on a project, um, women tend to be sidelined, right? They tend to be given some of the easier or softer engineering tasks. Um, and I just make sure that there's appropriate and fair distribution of that. Um, I also think that it's really important to stretch women and tap them for leadership roles, right? And make sure that they're leading a project or a team and they have that opportunity. But the most important part is creating this space of psychological safety for I think all engineers to experiment. Part of innovation is this idea that there is an experimental, uh, experimental cycle, right? And um, as part of it, you're going to test some thesis and you may fail. And failure is not viewed as something catastrophic, um, but it's just kind of a natural part of the engineering process. We expect you to fail. And when you fail, there will be a safety net, right? You're gonna actually um, probably bring something useful out of that experience. It's learnings as input into the next cycle of experimentation. Um, so I think, you know, that's the culture that we try to create at SDF. I, I'm super interested in this conversation. This was only supposed to be a five minute conversation and mm -hmm. now it's just going into a 10 minute. So I, I apologize for taking a little more of your time than I, I told you I would. I hope this is okay. But I, I want to get into this last question. That, this last question I have actually evolved um, because of what Karen, you just said. And I'm asking you as somebody that is a manager or a leader and wants to create better, more equitable spaces for people, uh, my team, you know, people who are working for me or people who are not even working for me, but just there in their, you know, adding to the conversation. There is an echo or a mirror when it comes to sexism and racism as a woman. And especially if you're a BIPOC woman or two challenges would say one, you're a woman and then you are a person of color. And so like Karen, when you said we put them into leadership roles. Well, now they're in leadership roles with men that probably have a bias, not only that you're a woman, but now you might be a woman of color. Um, mm -hmm. How do you manage those challenges of maybe microaggressions, maybe macroaggressions, overt or covert um, sexism or racism within your workplace that maybe is conscious or unconscious by the individual that's you know giving those microaggressions or how do you manage that and how do you make everybody see that this is a problem so you have more of a collaborative working environment? Yeah, that's a really really good question, Matthew. And if I had the answer to it, I would have solved uh, the problem of diversity <laughs> in the workplace. Um, you know, I think that. There's two parts of the problem. I think, you know, um, coming uh, from the point of view of being a woman of color, um, uh, part of many underrepresented intersectional identities, I hear from a lot of people and I feel a lot of times that I have imposter syndrome. So, you know, wow. there's kind of this internal constraint of like, oh, should I really be at this table? Should I really speak up? Is my voice necessary? Um, is my insight interesting, right? Um, and so I think there's that self-editing that happens. And then the other side of the table is, yeah, that there is um, kind of this intrinsic societal bias, especially when you're in a room with um, many, you know, more, more men, I would say, demographics of uh, more male, but it can certainly happen in any room with people who are just not aware, right? So I don't want to point fingers at specific populations. It's really about your 
point of view and how you approach the world and your your feelings of, of openness and inclusion, right, around ideas. Um, and I think, as I said before, a lot of this is a ground floor exercise, right? It's if you look at tech across the board, like there's no tech company that's not saying we are in absolute 110% support of diversity and inclusion, right? From the top down, the messaging is great. Now what's happening is it kind of breaks down from the bottoms up, right? And I think that's what you're talking about. It's like when you're in the room in a conversation, um, certain people are assumed to perform certain roles and have certain capabilities. Like how many times are you in a meeting where a woman is asked to actually take notes for the meeting, for example? Um, right. And it's like, I think the way to resolve that is, you know, you, you've got to have a lot of education within the company. So at SCF, we bring in, you know, external speakers, we have unconscious bias training, I think it's really useful for people to go through that exercise, right, in a professional way with professional help. Um, and then, you know, obviously, as a participant in those meetings, I think it's incumbent on each of us to raise the issue if we are seeing that certain voices are being sidelined or talked over. Like I always try to, for example, if I'm running a meeting, I always try to look for the person who's quiet, right? Or, you know, maybe they've given some visible cues, but they haven't spoken up. So I'll make it a point to reach out and say, hey, what's your point of view? So I think it's just, you know, like you have to put people in positions in these types of rooms where they're gonna be aware uh, and make space for more of those positive, inclusive type of interactions. And just if I could add one thing, Matthew, I think that as leadership in any organization, don't ever think you have this right and that you can be done. Like mm. this is the thing that I think is most important is that as a leader in an organization, you constantly have to check yourself and like listen to the team. We do the we do culture feedback surveys internally just to get the feedback because they're anonymous. So people will say things that they don't normally say. They may not feel comfortable saying you constantly need to like know that you could just be screwing this whole thing up and you need to like divert a little bit, go a different direction um, and be open to it because we all have the best of intentions, but there are, you could miss things. And I do, I miss things. And so when I do, I have to go, okay, wait, now what can I do to not do this again the next time? and to learn from that. And that's the value of being a leader is that you can constantly be a leader who learns or you can just be a leader who sticks into their normal gig and they just stay right there and, and keep pushing the hard line. And I, I don't ever wanna be that person. So I think it's one of those things that you, you learn all the time from the people like Karen who work with you, who can bring different ideas, different perspectives and challenge you a little bit to be, to be better, frankly. And I think that that's what this is all about. CEO Danielle Dixon, Vice President of Engineering Karen Chang of the Stellar Development Foundation. Thank you very much for coming on and having this conversation with me. It's been very valuable. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. And another news, Ross Gerber, who's a big Tesla investor and whose firm Gerber and Kawasaki manages about $1 billion, has some great insights about why Bitcoin. And I want you to hear this. And I want you to hear this because this is what's going on in investors' minds when it comes to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and adding it to their portfolios. Check it out. I'm an investment advisor, so people have the desire to invest their money in different things. And my job is to guide them to make smart investments and, and be able to provide them the investments that make sense. Um, 
I've spent years now not only owning Bitcoin but but following it very closely and and I I think I understand it pretty well and 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 what its potential is and I don't think it's the panacea investment that you know like some of the Bitcoin people like my friend Anthony Pompolino they're you know it's like Bitcoin is everything you know I don't look at it that way I look at it more like here is a really cool technology that has a lot of potential that we want to invest in. It's no different than investing in Tesla or any other stock. This is more a technology than a stock, but it's a digital currency technology that has tremendous potential to unite the world on one system, which I think is going to happen. So if I don't offer it to my clients, in essence, I'm taking away an opportunity that could be incredibly lucrative. Just like if I don't go out of my way to buy these annoyingly difficult stocks to buy like cannabis right now that trade in Canada and I have to like deal with all this crap just to buy a stock but I know the opportunity these companies so I go through the headache to do it and just like I'm going through the headache now to launch a program for crypto what we try to do is do it in the best and safest way possible so that we get the returns not just open up a door and say start trading crypto and see people lose their money thinking they're going to be crypto traders, you know. So we look at it as a long-term investment just like anything else. And, and so if I don't provide it to my clients, in essence, I'm, I'm taking away a tool or an opportunity to help them reach their goals. This was an interview by Editor-in-Chief Daniel Roberts. You can see the full interview on YouTube or written up on Decrypt. Acre ASA, a Norwegian holding company controlled by billionaire investor, is establishing a new business unit that will focus on investing in projects and companies throughout the Bitcoin ecosystem, the company said on Monday. And they started out with a bang with an initial purchase of 1,170 Bitcoin or $58.5 million worth of Bitcoin to jumpstart their ambitions. This points to more inclusion of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies into portfolios by big companies and investors around the world. It's not just the United States. We saw May 2 the other day from Hong Kong by Bitcoin, now a Norwegian investment company who else? The fact is that the idea of Bitcoin being an investment or a hedge is expanding. And finally, I just want to say I called it. I called it. I got this one right. Last week, somebody live streamed burning a Banksy, yes, the artist Banksy, a Banksy original, authenticated Banksy original on live stream. They burned it. It was estimated value about $100,000. And they turned it into an NFT. And I told you that they're going to make more money off of that NFT than the original Banksy. Well, they did. They 4X'd it. They sold that Banksy for $382,000. First of all, congrats to them. That was a ballsy move. Second, what? And third, is this going to be a new pattern of artists or art collectors burning their original artworks and putting them on NFTs so they can triple, quadruple, or even 10x their previous values. I kind of want to see this slippery slope play out, but I just want to say I got this one right. And wow, they banked off a of Banksy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, rate, and comment. It helps us stay visible. And if you want to send me an email, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co, ask me any question you want. I'll put it on Friday questions, listener questions, that is where I will answer your questions that you send me via email. Until tomorrow, happy hodling.